You're listening to Spurs Cast, episode 471. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of the Spurs Cast. Joining me in studio is Project Spurs' own Colin Reed. Uh, Colin, how are you doing, dude? Pretty good, pretty good. Just enjoying the short week. Short week, yes. Uh, Thanksgiving break is basically here, so, you know, spend time with the holidays, the family. Um, you said you just came from a, from a Thanksgiving event. Yeah. Okay, so um, Spurs Cast listeners, Colin and I are going to go through three big topics of the week, kind of recap the Spurs' this past week uh, from the time that that uh, Ben and I had recently uh, previewed their schedule, and then we'll go into previewing the next um, f- four games until the Spurs play again. So we're going to go to get started here by recapping uh, this past week. There was only two games that happened. Uh, the Spurs beat the Thunder by three. Now, that obviously, that's just a raw number, but really, San Antonio was down 23, and they ended up coming back to win. Now, on the last Spurs cast, Colin, I had predicted that they would lose that game, and I looked like I was in the driver's seat for that outcome when they're up. Then they're down 23 in the, in the second quarter, and here I am. I was even like kind of gloating on Twitter. I was t- uh, tweeting at Ben saying, "Hey, dude, look, I'm about to be one and one, like I called it." And then they ended up coming back and winning that game. What were your thoughts on that in that comeback win against OKC? Yeah, it seems like kind of a combination of the Spurs problems kind of going away and then the OKC's problems like just showing up all at once the problems they've had all year whether it's closing it out whether it's because they're doing this every guy uh whoever has the ball takes a shot up with their big three um and if two of them aren't playing well then it's just nothing going and there's no flow kind of thing they're still figuring it out uh but I feel like it was kind of the perfect storm of everything going right for them in the beginning OKC and everything going wrong for the Spurs and then reversed as the game went on. Yeah, I mean, I, I had seen the numbers how, you know, before the game started, I had looked at OKC's quarter-by-quarter quarter numbers, and in the first quarter, they were like plus, like I want to say like 11 or 12 points per 100 possessions, and then it slowly started declining, and by the third and fourth quarter, their mm-hmm. stats just showed that they really fall apart. They were in the negatives. And so I kind of didn't believe the numbers, especially when they were by 23, but then, you know, they let the Spurs come back on them, and then, you know, two nights later, they let the New Orleans Pelicans do the same thing. I think uh, I was watching that game. OKC was up at like 16 in the first quarter. And the Pelicans came back and beat them as well. So the Thunder are having that, that, that issue right now. And the Spurs, it looks really good for them that they, that they came back without Kawhi, without Tony, to be what's projected to be one of the better teams in the uh, Western Conference here. Okay, uh, next, the next night, Colin, actually two nights later, should I say, uh, the Spurs beat the Hawks by 11. That was on Monday evening. Uh, San Antonio was up by 14 in that game, which a lot of, everybody, a lot of people would expect. Vegas had them favored by 9.5. Uh, the Hawks, though, did come back. You know, they clawed back within two possessions by the fourth quarter. But LaMarcus Aldridge had a really breakout game where he wasn't having a lot going on the post. Dwayne Dedman and um, uh, who was the other guy? Josh Collins were, were both kind of – or John Collins, I forgot his name. Uh, they were kind of keep, keeping him away from, from normal post-ups. And they were kind of contesting them. But Aldridge got um, – you know, he still stayed energetic on the glass, uh, getting to the foul line. Um, and then running some pick and roll action with his pick and pop jumper. So um, were, were you – is that kind of what you saw the Spurs winning that game? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, it seemed like the turnovers were kind of weird for the Spurs in terms of letting the other team, the Atlanta Hawks, stay in it. Um, but yeah, it, another another great game for Aldridge, especially in the second half. Uh, obviously, whatever, and I mean, I know it's been talked about a lot, whatever Kumbaya meeting he had with Pop worked. Obviously, they are uh, making an effort to integrate him, and he's making an effort to do that. And I think that showed in the second half of this game. Uh, but I do think that this is a game that could have been put away earlier uh, if they wouldn't have played sloppily, kind of, as they have lately. That, that was a good point there. You mentioned sloppy. Um, you know, Pop caught an inconsistent game, so did Manu. Um, and the reason for that was that they had 29 assists as a team, which is great ball movement, but they had 18 turnovers. 
And, you know, when they had hit 15 turnovers by, like, the third quarter, there was a stat that they were 2-5 and five already, you know, this mm-hmm. season when they go over 15. So so they actually were lucky. Now they're, they're basically 3-5 and five whenever they have turnovers of 15 or more in a game. And that's probably been their one Achilles heel this season has been those turnovers. Okay, uh, moving into our, our three uh, big topics of the week. Topic number one, let's discuss Kyle Anderson, Kyle. I mean, Colin. Um, let's call it Kyle. <laughs> Colin. Look, I'll start with the cut sound. Anyway, um, so Kyle Anderson, let me read you some of his stats here. He's, he's been starting a place to Kawhi Leonard. You know, he's scoring 8.6 points per game. He's grabbing 6.2 rebounds, 3.1 assists, uh, and 1.0 blocks per game. He has a true shooting percentage of 56.2%. So for those of you that don't know, aren't, aren't familiar with the true shooting percentage, it's kind of taking in an evaluation of your, of your field goal percentage, your three-point shot, and your free throw percentage. It's, it's putting him into a number. And, uh, you know, at 56.2%, he's actually above league average. The league average is 547 54.7%. Now, when I read you those stats, let me tell you players who are who are averaging 8 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and 1 block in the league right now. There's only 12 guys. Ready? Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, DeMarcus Cousins, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Marcus Gasol, Paul Millsap, Andre Drummond, Pau Gasol, Draymond Green, uh, Lonzo Ball, and Kyle. Now, here's the thing about Kyle. Outside of Pau, he's doing it in the late, least amount of minutes, only 27.3 minutes per game. So, you know, what, what have you seen from Kyle? He's playing mainly a three of uh, the three, four, the forward spot, according yeah. to cleaningtheglass.com. What have you seen from him as a starter? And then when Kawhi comes back, what, what do you think is going to happen with him? Well, I think that he's playing with more confidence. It's something that Pop has talked about before. And I think he's even talked about it several times this year, that when Kyle is playing with confidence, he's just so much better. He's making the right passes. He's making the right moves. And, you know, he really is a guy who... Uh, can use his athletic limitations as a strength. You know, he can get people off guard and off tempo. Um, and so I think that playing more in the starting lineup at a position that suits him better has given him confidence. You know, yes, or not yesterday, last year he was playing as the starting two, and he's definitely not a two. So it's hard to kind of get confidence when you're playing out of position like that. I think playing as like a, a three or a four, especially a four, um, really would give him more confidence because he's playing in the right position. I do think, you know, he's all of his counting stats are up, but I also think that there's something about having someone out there that doesn't have to have high usage and still make a good impact. Um, you know, I know he has a relatively low usage rate, but he still does things when he has the ball. He can't shoot. If he could shoot, then he would be even like three times as valuable uh, just because he does so much. And if he could space the floor in that way, it would be incredible. Um, but, you know, to have someone like, and I hope that they can integrate this in the future with Kawhi and LaMarcus, where they're going to be high usage guys to have someone who can contribute on the court without having to have a high usage rate. I think that's really important. Uh, so when Kawhi comes back, you know, it's going to be maybe a challenge. I think that they might kind of rotate that uh, secondary big man position. Um, but I, I think that just because, you know, they have, they have Rudy Gay, they have Joffrey Laverne as the two bigs, um, you know, maybe he'll get, some time off the bench, but it'll be hard to find it with all the guys in the rotation right now. Uh, so they'll have to figure it out for sure. Yeah, and that's kind of the, the thing is, uh, you know, first first to your point that he looks more confident, Manu Ginobili said that exactly on uh, on Monday night after the Hawks game. They asked him about it, and Manu basically says that, you know, when you have more minutes and you know you have a starting role for now, you have more you have more leeway where you can take more risk. You know, Kyle's running the pick and roll. He's basically a ball handler. So he was in college and, and even in, in his younger days in high school and stuff. And so he's actually getting to run pick and rolls at the end of quarters. You see that a lot. Um, I had put a, a, a film piece together uh, when they came back and beat OKC, how – 
how Kyle was one of the main go-to guys as a pick and roll handler with Lamarcus Aldridge and got him really good looks. Or Kyle can kind of take you off the dribble in his own slow, you know, slow way. It's 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 his own methodical way of of getting to the basket, but he gets there. Now, Pop did say that, you know, when Kawhi eventually comes back, he does want Kyle to still have that level of comfort and um, that same kind of productivity off the bench. And then when they asked Kyle about it last night, uh, which is Monday night, he kind of said, like, he really he really doesn't want to go back to the bench, he, in, in all honesty, but he knows that there's obviously a better player where he, where, who's going to come into his spot. So he knows that Kawhi is obviously way better than him. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's saying, no, I should still be the starting small forward because yeah, I'm better than Kawhi. No, he didn't say that at all. He says he cannot get, even get, get close to what Kawhi does on the court. But he did say that, the only part, that, the reason why he doesn't want to go back to the bench is because when you're on the bench, you don't know when your when your number's going to get called. You don't know which kind of role you're going to have, what kind of minutes you're going to play. You you have more, you have less restriction when you're on the bench because the minute you mess up, you have a guy coming in for you, um, on either end of the court. So uh, we will see. You know, it's still a thing to see, be seen. You know, do, does he is he still as efficient? You know, when Kawhi comes back, and plus, like you mentioned, where does he play? Does he play as a backup four? Does he play as a backup three? You know that Pop wants to have Kawhi, Lamarcus, and Rudy on the floor, Rudy Gay on the floor at all times as much as possible. So it's going to be very hard for him to get mm-hmm. some of those crunch time minutes like he's getting right now. Uh, and then so, some other raw numbers. I know, like defensively, he's he, he he's good. At, and there's good and bad stuff from him. You know, numerically, the numbers spit out um, that when he's on the court. They're um they're a minus um zero point one points per one hundred possessions in four hundred sixty six minutes, and then when he's off the court, the team gets uh is is up eight point three points per one hundred possessions in three hundred fifty minutes. Uh, their defensive rating goes something like one hundred six with him to like ninety seven without him. So so there's still some drawback on the defensive end. Uh, guys guys to speak can kind of still get by him, but he's shown to be a very good help defender. You know he had some blocks against the Hawks and then against OKC, he gets some steals. He's a very smart high IQ defender where he kind of uses his spacing ability as far as like knowing where where, where the ball is going uh, to to inter, to inter, um, get get in, get in get in the middle of possessions and kind of get the ball back for San Antonio. Now if you're telling him to go stop somebody one on one, that's a tough task. But if you're telling him to help out in a scheme, he's actually very good at that mm-hmm. uh, defensively. So again, the question with Kyle was kind of still up in the air as far as is he going to stay this this productive and consistent when Kawhi comes back. Uh, the next the next uh, topic I want to talk about is the Spurs' um, use of of Lamarcus Aldridge in the post. Um, you know, usually they, they go to, to a very slow set where they're, they're one of the slowest paced teams in the league. They go to that, that traditional four down set where they kind of all four guys kind of spread the floor and they give the ball to LaMarcus and they let him basically try to operate. And if LaMarcus is like between five, and like zero and five feet of the basket, it's pretty efficient because he has such a size advantage over most players. But if he's like 15 feet out, it becomes like a tough shot, that turnaround jumper or, or teams can kind of double him a little bit more and shrink the floor on offense. So let me read you a quote, Colin from Manu Ginobili um, Monday night about uh, getting Aldridge the ball in motion compared to giving hit to, to him in, in the four down type of set. So he said this, it's not that we made a huge effort to feed him. We just found him when we play so static and looking for him, he might score more points, but the offense is stuck. So I think we got more when we give him the ball out of movement, penetration and pitch and actually getting the ball from one side to the other. I think that's when we get the best looks, and I think we did a little better in the second half. So, so my question to you, Colin, is based on that quote from Manu, do you think the Spurs right now should make more of an emphasis to kind of run more motion, um, pick and roll, you know, dribble handoff action, or should they continue going to that straight like post-up where defenses know what's coming? Well, I've kind of hoped, and I mean every Spurs fan does, uh, but me as just a general basketball fan from the uh, aesthetics of it, that they went back to a motion type offense. Um, even when Kawhi was there last year, a lo- so much of it was give the ball to Kawhi and have him ISO someone. And he's such an efficient scorer that that works out. 
but you kind of wonder what's lost from the days when they had motion. And you know, motion was, they used it because they didn't have that one guy at the time who could score. And I think that the trade-off is points for Aldridge, maybe, when they're not just giving him the ball. But I think that with everything they've done to build equity with him, he should at least be willing to try. And I'm sure he is, because even though he might score less points, there are easier points to score. You know, he's not having to sit there and dribble three times and see, is the defender on my right, is he on my left, which way should I go, and then try to hit a hard shot, like you said, from 15 feet away. Uh, instead, he's getting an emotion, and it's uh, usually just take the shot, you know? And so that might result in less points, but it should result in easier shots at least. And so I think that if they can move more to that, you know, and because they have those two scores and then there's kind of the drop off and how good everyone else is offensively, they'll never be like they were in 2014. But certainly from an aesthetic standpoint, I would, I would like to see it. And I think that they would at least want to try to incorporate it a little more than they have the past couple of years. Yeah. For me, I think that they should at least for now, you know, until Kawhi comes back is, is try to, Use the four down post up as either when when Aldridge has a mismatch, like it's, it's apparent he has good size in the low block. You know he ha- he has the guy buckled down about like maybe like four feet from the basket, but not like fifteen feet out. Even if he has a point guard on him, you don't throw it to him fifteen feet out because then it's just it's still issue where ple- uh, defenders kind of help off of him. But I also think that they should go to the, they should use that as like option C on an offensive possession. So maybe the first two options are some sort of like screen action or pick and roll action. And then if those aren't going anywhere, then you go to Alders in the last like 10 seconds of the shot clock say, hey, maybe you can get us a bucket uh, with your post-up ability. I think that's something they should more emphasize a little bit more. It's going to the post-up, but a little bit later. And first trying to see, you know, how can they break the defense down? Because against most defensive teams, uh, you're going to be able to get a better shot, a cut to the rim, you know, an open three in the corner. If you can kind of just move the ball around, kind of, you see what the Warriors do basically night in, night out. They're the best offensive team. And, you know, but despite them having such great one-on-one players like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, who can try to create their shot whenever they want, like we're talking about with Aldridge and Kawhi. The Warriors still run a motion type of attack where they're moving the ball, they're setting screens for each other, and you see that it, it's a good product for everyone because everyone gets to contribute. A lot of guys have good scoring nights, um, and they're the best offensive team in the league. Now, when Kawhi comes back, you're right. It becomes even more of an issue of, of the stuck offense because, like you mentioned, him and him and Lamarcus, their best, their their skill set is best when when they're like you know when, when they have the ball in their hands. And and for me, it's always been like a kind of a, a, Sha- a Shaq Kobe kind of thing where. Kawhi's like that Kobe kind of guy where he kind of isolates and he's such a good scorer that you can't really lose that but then Shaq's pretty good in the, in the post and and so it, it's they're obviously not on the level of, of Shaq and Kobe but you know it's that type of one-two punch rather than what you said which is a, a spread out four, four um, you know five-man attack with the motion based offense so that'll be something interesting to see and I would like to see if, if Manu's comments do you know uh, reflect with the team and, and they go forward you know trying to get altered some possessions later on in the post rather than just right at, at a four down set our, our third topic, Colin, let's go ahead and discuss Rudy Gay. Now, he's had a pretty good season here. Let me read you his numbers real quick, and then we're going to go talk about the last six games. Okay, so for the season, he's averaging 11 points, 0.4 points off the bench, uh, 5.1 rebounds, 1.5 assists, and 1.8 turnovers. Uh, he gets the free throw line 2.6 times per game. He's shooting, he has a sh- true shooting percentage of 54.3% in, in 21.8 minutes. Now, though... He's had a pretty tough time in the last six games. Uh, he's only scored once in double figures uh, in the last six games against Chicago. He had 15 points. And here's his numbers for that stretch in the last six games. Uh, 7.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, 0.8 assists, 2.3 turnovers, 2, two free throw attempts. And his, shooting, and his true shooting percentage has dropped all the way down to 44.7%. And he's only played 19 minutes. Now, something that you saw uh, Monday was in the win against the Hawks. He only played 13 minutes of the game, and in fact, in the third quarter, he played three minutes only, and then popped in and played him the rest of the game. So my question to you, Colin, is do you think that this kind of slow stretch for Gay is kind of 
Does it, does it have to do more with his health? Maybe they kind of threw him back in too quickly. Or do you think it's more of like maybe he's he's not gelling as much with the second unit? He's not maybe he's losing his aggressiveness. You know something that you've seen a lot of top tier scorers do when they become that third guy for the Spurs. Like you know Richard Jefferson's a perfect example. Is they kind of lose that confidence of being you know that that go to guy off the bench, and they just don't know how to do that when their whole career they've been one of the you know, the one or two options. So so what if, what do you think about that stretch uh, right now from Rudy Gay? Well, I think, and not to sound pessimistic, I think that it's probably was kind of due. Um, because, and as, as mystical as people pretend like the Spurs system is sometimes, and they act like it's this unknowable thing of like, oh, the Spurs system can take any player and make them amazing. Um, I, I do think of things like Aldridge saying that the Spurs run a way more complex defense than any team, at least that he knows of. And I know he's only been on two teams, but, you know, just to kind of see the other defenses. And uh, I remember in 2013, when the Spurs first signed uh, Marco Bellinelli, it was like December or January, Pop had commented, oh, you know, it's amazing. He has picked up the system maybe faster than anyone. He's just bought in real quick. And I was like, it's December or January. That's like three or four months. Like, how is that quick? And so I think the fact that he came and he started playing so well might have been like just him coming out like, you know, I'm back. I'm here to prove that I can still play. But I do think that there is a lot to take in with the way that the Spurs play defense, with the way that they play offense. And I think that maybe this kind of like, getting adjusted to the system and kind of coming into his own in that way maybe was, was kind of coming for some time and it just happened. And I do know that with players like Rudy, um, that pop sometimes will just let them play and see how they play and then start to work with them after that. And that might be what we're seeing right now where like the first couple weeks or months or so was just like, Rudy, do your thing. And now it's like, we'll change these little things to fit our system better. And that might be what's happening. Those are both really good points, and I, and I, I think that, that you're onto something there, especially the part, the last part there about what you're saying. was like Pop kind of throwing him out of the fire, seeing what he can do, and now trying to kind of slowly morph him into what he wants off the bench as, as far as from Rudy as a player. And from what I'm seeing, it looks like more like um, a, a lack of aggressiveness as far as like – I would say more like confidence where mm-hmm. it's almost like he knows that Patty – well, Patty's not coming off the bench, but still Patty plays a lot of minutes with Manu. You know, Manu comes off the bench, with, and then uh, you, know, you have – you have uh, uh, Laverne sometimes, or you have Davis Bertans, some of these guys that have been kind of on the bench unit for a few years now. What, not Laverne, but, but you know, Bertans and Manu have. Uh, and, and Murray, too. You know, he's been part of the system, at least for the last two years. And so it's almost like Rudy's kind of tentative to, to, to put his input in there now. Like at the beginning, he was like just kind of coming out and doing whatever he wanted. But now it's like more like Manu has the ball in the pick and roll. Manu knows when to drive and kick, when to, when to initiate it. So it's almost like he's kind of um, almost taking a back seat in that, in that position. It's like, we need you to be that guy who comes in off the bench and become, you know, the, the go-to dude when, when Kawhi Lamarcus needs help. And, and right now it looks like Manu's more that guy. Um, and, you know, he's playing well, though. Manu's doing very well. But I think long-term you do need Rudy to be that guy, especially because of his, his age, his talent, um, his, his talent level that he has. So I think I think that's a, a little bit a part of it. But then, like, you're, like you said there, um, you know, maybe Pop did is kind of reeling him in just a little bit slowly. Maybe, you know, we don't know if he's fully healthy. Maybe there's a reason why he only played three minutes in the second half against Atlanta. Uh, so that'll be something to watch is, you know, where does his, that trajectory go for Rudy? Does he continue? Does he get back to his season average of like 11 points or does he still have some trouble and maybe there's something long term going on there? So, so we'll just have to wait and see for a, a larger sample size. This podcast is brought to you by ADT. When it comes to something as important as your family safety, you need real protection with ADT. What does real protection mean for you? 
Well, real protection means you can get all of the latest innovation in smart home security from ADT combined with 24-7 monitoring from the most trusted name in home security. You'll get a team of professionals designing and installing a secure smart home just for you, including 18,000 employees safeguarding you and your family, along with a connection to first responders. Your secure smart home includes everything from video doorbells and indoor and outdoor cameras to smart locks and lights controlled from the ADT Go app or the sound of your voice. You can also get professionally monitored carbon monoxide and smoke detectors. Everything is custom designed to fit your home, all from the nation's number one smart home security provider. You can even get safety on the go, in the car, or when the kids are at school with the ADT Go app with an SOS button. Ready to learn more? Visit ADT.com backslash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. Next, uh, SpursCast listeners, Colin and I will move on to these um, SpursCast t- uh, Twitter questions that you all sent to us using the hashtag SpursCast. Now, this is a little bit on my part. I didn't really promote it as much, so I only got two questions, but last week we had a lot, so it's, it's fine. Uh, the first one comes from at Greco Suave. Uh, they ask, where has this Danny, Grant, Danny Green been at? P- did Pop make a mistake not developing? Did, didn't, bring over, didn't bring more over the years? So I guess they're just trying to say is. You know, this new improved Danny Green who can take people off the dribble, he can finish at the rim, he can kind of create out of the pick and roll. Uh, where has this guy been at? Uh, what's your response to that? Well, I think that it has been something in development. You know, I know for the past couple of seasons, any time that Danny uh, puts the ball on the floor, there's, there's people saying, why is he doing that? That's not his role. It would, you know, maybe lead to a bad contested shot or maybe to a turnover. And, and every so often, you know, as especially last season went on, it would start to become more and more successful. And you know, Pop is very much like you have a role, you follow your role. That's what the Spurs system kind of follows in terms of like don't get too far outside your role. And that's how they can be successful even maybe with less talent is that everyone knows their role. And so I always was wondering, like, that doesn't seem like Danny Green's role. Why are they giving him so much leeway to keep on trying this? Uh, but now the fruits of those labors are being shown where it's actually successful in way more than it has been in the past. Maybe, you know, not to the level of like a high caliber point guard or something like that, but I think that it's been incredibly helpful with Kawhi out that he's been able to actually have those there. Uh, but I don't think it's kind of like a it happened yesterday or even the summer. I think that it's been something that he's been developing for a, a long time and it just happened to kind of show up now. But I do think, as he always says, and I know it's become a cliche at this point, that really like he could be shooting well, maybe not 20%, but like 30% from three and the yeah. Spurs would not care as long as he's playing really, really good defense. And his transition defense maybe the best for a uh, guard or wing in the league. Like it's, he, he can be the one on a two-in-one break with two offensive players and still somehow stop the break. It's incredible. And I think they care way more about that than if he can dribble or if he can shoot. But I do think that the dribbling has been something he's worked on for a long time with the team. And it's just happening to show the fruits of that now. Yeah, and there's one part of that that, that you really um, that, you, that you said there, and it was that Kawhi is not here right now. So let me, let me read you some stats here that, that are a big part of why I think Green's made this, this maturation where he's kind of upped his level in the dribbling game is 31.2% usage. That is what Kawhi Leonard has when he's on the floor. 20.7% usage. That is what Tony Parker has when he's on the floor. So basically the two of their main go-to ball handlers are gone right now. And you've seen Danny take advantage of that and really, really, you know, make himself a better player because of it. It's going to be a great thing for him. 
uh, long term because now when you know when, when when he comes back when Kawhi does come back in Parker and Danny is like the fifth option now again on an offensive possession, it's okay if they close out him from three because now you're gonna have more confidence that he's gonna actually at- attack the the defense, get into the lane, and either try to score for himself or kick it out and make the right kind of decision. Whereas you were kind of scared in the past that he would just turn it over automatically. So so it will have a, a big imprint um, as far as going forward. Uh, I think that it, the reason why he's shown this growth is just because, like you said, he's put in the work. But then also the biggest part is that Kawhi's not there right now, and, and Parker, and really a lot of guys. Kyle Anderson, we mentioned earlier, uh, they've they've had they've been they've been allowed more more leeway, more freedom. They've actually just been able to have the ball in their hands because you know when Kawhi's there, like we mentioned earlier, he's a very good ISO kind of player. You know, they, almost every possession is made for him to either attack in the pick and roll or get it in the low post or something. So, so when when your go to guy is not there, more players, you know, ha- have more freedom in the offense. They they have more responsibility, and um, it'll be interesting when Kawhi does get back. You know, does like not just Lamarcus, does Kyle keep playing this way? Does Danny keep playing this way? A lot of these guys who went, went because you know they haven't had their their go to guys there as far as holding the ball, and when those two guys get back, can they keep up this level of efficiency? So. So yeah, so uh, so uh, Danny's definitely made that improvement. Our next question still comes from at Greco Suave. They ask uh, Kyle Anderson. Oh my gosh, playing good ball. Do we throw him a long term contract later? Uh, not we, because I don't have any money with the team. I don't think you do either. But uh, do the Spurs? Should the Spurs throw him a long term contract? So before I let you answer this, Colin, let me go ahead and give you, grab you. Uh, I mean, uh, give you the stats for Kyle Anderson's uh, not stats, financial situation. Should I say for Kyle Anderson this summer? So he is um, eligible to become a restricted free agent. Uh, if the Spurs tender him a $3.2 million qualifying offer by June 29th, uh, should they give him a qualifying offer? If he signs, if he signs a, a, an offer from another team, the Spurs would have three days to match, you know, the whole f- restricted free agency. So my first question you call on is actually, I have three questions for you. you. Ready? Question number one, do you think he finishes the season on the Spurs? Because he is basically an expiring contract could be traded, you know, by February. He, and obviously teams are seeing that this dude is pretty good. You know, when he's given minutes in a role, that's question number one. Question number two is, do you think that they even make him a restricted free agent by giving him this, this qualifying offer? And then question three is, do you think he ends up back in San Antonio next summer? It's weird how the Spurs have kind of become this thing. It used to be every summer that it was like, okay, they're going to bring back their players and maybe get one or two other role players like Bellinelli or whatever. But the past couple of years has been, ever since Aldridge came, has been oh, there's this free agent that's interested in the Spurs. It would be max space, though, and they're going to have to clear the space. And I know that we've kind of heard that that might be the same case. Well, they'll at least keep their ears open this summer. Uh, and they would have to move some pieces, especially after the Aldridge thing, and you know they're going to get quite the extension and all that. Uh, so I think that if it looks like none of those lines are open, I think that they would definitely try to keep... Um, Kyle, especially if, if another team doesn't make him an offer. I think that could get kind of weird because I do think that he has a skill set that can help teams. He is long. I you know He might not have the athletic speed, but he is a smart defender and he can rebound. Um, and he's just a smart player all around. So it just takes one team to throw more money at him than the Spurs can for him not to be able to come back. I do think if they feel strongly that there is one of those max uh, salary type guys and they feel this way before the trade deadline, then that might happen. That they might try to create some cap space now and kind of uh, just fill it with like, like get one of their two way guys, a fully guaranteed contract through the rest of the year or something. Um, But I I do think that, you know, there's a better chance than not that that one of those max guys won't come to the Spurs. And I think that they would rather keep him. He is a very intelligent basketball player. He does have a lot of skills that maybe don't show up in points or stats that are very useful, 
but he also knows the Spurs system really well. And all those things together, I think, make him a useful player for the Spurs. But like I said, it just takes one team coming in and offering him more than the Spurs are willing to. And then it, I mean, they just can't at that point. Yeah. Okay. So, so for my, so for my response for those three questions is, uh, I think he stays on the team this year, you know, regardless, even if, even if, um, Kawhi comes back and they still can't find a role for him just because, you know, you got to have your options always open. He's a good, you know, player that in the event an injury happens or somebody, you know, gets in foul trouble in a game, you bring him in, uh, even if he's not getting the kind of role that he had, that he's having right now. So I don't think they would move him in the summer, even if, even if for the cap space purposes, uh, then that's the tricky part is, is uh, this free agency. You know, what is the direction they want to go? Is, uh, do they really think that they have a chance at LeBron James, at a Paul George, somebody like that? Even a Chris Paul could be a free agent if it doesn't work out the Houston Rockets. Um, there's, there's a few guys out there that are max-level guys, and you just can't bring back Kyle. Uh, and then you got to look at trading some players in order to, um, to, to try to re-sign, to, to try to um, open up that cap space. So it's still kind of early. Uh, I think that... If they give him the qualifying offer, it's a pretty good indication that they don't think they're going to get a big, you know, max kind of free agent. It also has a lot to do with some of the other guys that have player options. Danny Green has a player option. Um, Joffrey Laverne, Rudy Gay, they all have player options as well. You know, what if those guys opt in? Then I think I think if those guys opt in, which they have to tell the Spurs before July first, then I think that San Antonio's cap space is kind of um, you know hunkered down where where they're not they don't have a lot of leeway. So I think that they would just take the better safest approach and, and re- try to resign Kyle through the restricted free agency. But also, I think a big part of Kyle coming back, if he even wants to, would be, you know, what kind of role does he have when Kawhi comes back? You know, he's kind of, you can just tell by, by the comments Monday night that he's kind of worried about that. It's, it's in his head that, you know, if, if I don't play well when, when I'm back on the bench, do I have a role? You know, now, we have, now they have Rudy Gay here. It's Rudy Gay, Kawhi that pop once on the floor at all times. Um, you know, right now, he's in the depth chart, he's kind of above Bertans. But I don't think he's above uh, Rudy Gay when everyone's fully healthy. So... I think that we also got to see, you know, how does the season shake out for him? Does he have a, a real role? Is he playing in the playoffs? Or does is he like the third or fourth guy now in terms of, of either big guys or, or wings? And maybe he's not happy. Maybe he feels like he could earn real minutes somewhere else, you know, you know, next season. So maybe he would try to look, explore free agency, kind of like what Jonathan Simmons did uh, this past summer. So that, that's a very interesting question to see. And, and it can go in all sorts of directions, you know, right now. You know, if, if it works out with him and Kawhi and, and, and Rudy Gay all together when they're all here healthy, then I think that San Antonio definitely wants to re-sign him. But if it, if it doesn't, like he doesn't have like a real role and he's getting inconsistent minutes, then I think that maybe it, they would look at, you know, letting Kyle go off to see where, where he would, you know, continue to extend his career in, a, in the brightest spot possible. Okay, so th- uh, thank you SpursCast um, listeners for sending us those questions using hashtag SpursCast. Please remember to send those next week as well for the next episode. Uh, the last segment of our Spurs cast, Colin and I will preview the the next four games ahead. So I I will not be so this this Spurs cast should come out on Wednesday, and then the next one I'll record will be sometime next Thursday. So the Spurs will have played four games by then. So, Colin, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read uh, the Spurs' current record and their kind of their their statistics where they stand amongst their, their peers in the league. Uh, right now they're 11 and six in the West, third in the Western Conference. This is without Kawhi Leonard, and Tony Parker, mind you. Uh, they have the 12th best offense at 104.5 points per 100 possessions. And then defensively, they're top five. They're fifth, holding teams to 100.9 points per 100 possessions. So now let's look at their first opponent. They played the New Orleans Pelicans uh, tonight, which is Wednesday when this is going live. Uh, the Pelicans are 9-8 and eight this season. They're seventh in the West as of right now. Offensively, they're a top 10 team. They're, they're scoring 105.9 points per 100 possessions. But defensively... They're having some issues. They're, they're allowing teams to score 106.8 points per 100 possessions, which is 23rd in the league. Um, Colin, who do you have winning this game Wednesday nights? The Spurs or Pelicans? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Spurs, but it's, it's hard just because of how well the Pelicans always play the Spurs, especially 
You know, and, and it's interesting because since Aldridge has come, it's actually been a little bit more one-sided for the Spurs. Uh, but, you know, even, I mean, the Pelicans could, could be like 10 and 72 and they'd still give the Spurs a hard time, especially when they had Ryan Anderson. They just, that, that combo of Anthony Davis and Ryan Anderson just would tear them up like every time they played. And, you know, even though they don't have Ryan Anderson anymore, I would uh, be willing to say that DeMarcus Cousins is better than Ryan Anderson. So I do think that that, that always gives them trouble. But I just think that they are, you know, we talk about the turnovers, but I think that they are kind of starting to find their groove as a team um, and their efficiency numbers show it. So I think that it'll be a close game, but I think they'll, they'll edge them out. Okay, I'm picking the Pelicans of this one. And, and you're right. You know, statistically, all the numbers say that San Antonio should beat them. You know, when the Spurs play top 20, I mean, bottom 20 defenses, they're usually pretty good against those teams with their offense, with the way they move the ball. They can usually take care of the ball against those bad defenses. Uh, but here's a stat that really gets me is that since the Aldridge joined the team, they're one in four in New Orleans. I mean, one in three, should I say one in three in the last trips. Now it's only New Orleans. You're right though. In San Antonio, they're fine. They play like they're the record, but for some reason they have these weird games whenever they go to New Orleans, they have high turnovers. They shoot a, they, or sometimes they just shoot a terrible percentage all night. They can't make threes or anything. So I'm going to even though I think I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to go ahead and say loss for San Antonio on that one. So you have a win and I have a loss against the Pelicans. Okay, then two nights, so then they go Thursday to spend Thanksgiving, then Friday they're off, and then they play again on Saturday at Charlotte uh, against the Hornets. Uh, the Hornets currently are 7-9, and nine. they're 11th in the Eastern Conference, they're kind of healthy finally, they have Nic- Nicholas Batum back, they have all their guys back. Um, offensively, they're scoring 104.2 points per 100 possessions, which is ranked 16th in the league. Uh, defensively, though, they're, they're holding teams to 103.3 points per 100 possessions, which is ranked 12th. Uh, who do you have in that game, Spurs or Hornets? I'm actually going to go Hornets. I think it might be a little bit of a trap game. Uh, the first game back after Thanksgiving, they have a very, very strong point guard, which can be hard for the Spurs, especially with Tony Parker out uh, and Kimball Walker. Uh, Batum is back. It might take him a little while to get into the groove, and so this will be a little while after he came back, so I think he might have that. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just kind of what I've heard uh, through just see in the league is that, that Dwight Howard's actually playing all right this year. Um, I, I don't think he's doing anything super crazy amazing or anything, but I, I do think that that's, that's one of those games where it's kind of easy to come in uh, maybe with not as high of energy or with as much of an edge as that you normally have that first game back after Thanksgiving. You kind of see all the time teams play a little bit uh, sloppier or less. And so I think the home team has the advantage there, and I just think that any team that they're playing that has a really good point guard, that can become a problem for them. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go the opposite. I think San Antonio's okay there. I think that uh, it's a win um, for the Spurs. And, and, and just the fact that they had kind of played up New Orleans pretty recently. Now, you're right. They didn't have Batum, but they, they, they did a pretty good team defensive scheme against uh, Kemba there. And then uh, they kind of blew, blew the Hornets out. They were kind of able to get a lot of good shots against the Hornets um, in, that, in that game. They had a high assist number. I think it was over 30 assists, if I, if I can recall. So I just feel like even though Batum's back, I don't think they can kind of figure their defensive identity out just that fast. And I remember seeing just a few nights ago that the Hornets, I forgot who it was, but they got blown out by somebody pretty badly. So uh, I'm going to give San Antonio the win there. Okay, then um, after Saturday, they have Sunday off. Then, then next Monday, they're playing uh, against the Dallas Mavericks um, in San Antonio. So they're hosting the Mavs. Uh, the Mavs are the worst team in the Western Conference, 3-15 and 15 by record. Offensively, they're 27th, 99.3 points per 100 possessions. Defensively, 27th, 107.6 points per 100 possessions. The Spurs recently beat them on the road, and it was fairly close, but you kind of it was one of those wins where like you kind of knew Santos was going to eventually win the game. So how do you feel about that, that upcoming game against Dallas? 
I mean, I, I definitely think that the Spurs will, will take that one probably just, just based on, um, and maybe, maybe I was just maybe seeing something that I wasn't supposed to, or I wasn't seeing something that I should, but I, I kind of had, I didn't think they were going to be good, but I, I projected the Mavs to maybe be a little bit better than they actually ended up being. Um, and so I think that's one of those games where they can kind of be sneaky and get in there and win. I, I think of that game last year where I think it was Yogi Ferrell hit the two free throws to, to mm-hmm. seal the game and, and beat the Spurs, even though they're a bad team last year too. They always play the Spurs tough. It's that Texas rivalry. But I, I, I do think that at the end of the day, the, this is a more than winnable game for the Spurs that they should and probably will win. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and you're right. You know, it's Vegas, actually, I think they project him to finish like, like ninth or 10th in the West. And for them to be 15th, and they just like you know they just don't have it. They just don't have a complete team. You know there was a, obviously the whole Nerlens and well contract situation where he wanted a bigger number. The Mavs didn't want to give it to him. Now they're now basically Carlisle is kind of having some kind of like some feuds with him where he's saying like you know you need to earn your minutes. Sometimes he starts, sometimes he doesn't. And you know if he's a young player who has like the most like potential right now, aside from Dennis Smith Jr., I think you got to give him as many minutes as possible and try to get a role for him. But right now the Mavs aren't having that, and so and then plus you know some injuries too that they're they're just they're it's just not a good team right now. Uh, the Dallas has out there. They do it. They do play hard. That's why they, they almost beat the Spurs last time. But it wasn't enough to get them the win. Just pulling up real quick that the Hornets uh, schedule because I know that they had just uh, that they had lost San Antonio. Oh yes, so they actually lost by seven to San Antonio that night. Um, recapping, and then they, they recently lost by sixteen to the Wolves. That's who it was. And then uh, the yeah, and then they lost by thirteen to the to the Clippers. So so they they have. Oh no, they beat those teams. Sorry. Oh, you know what? They're actually playing pretty well. Okay. I just want to make sure that I wasn't wrong on some of those stats. I'm just verifying real quick here. Uh, yes, San Antonio had 31 assists against the Hornets, and they were up by 13, so it wasn't actually a blowout. It was actually a little bit closer. So, hey, you might be on there right on to something right there. Maybe they do have a very good chance of losing that game. Okay, so the last game uh, the Spurs will play next week, as far as before we, retru- we record the next Spurs cast, it'll be um, next Wednesday. They host the Memphis Grizzlies, who are 7-9 on the year. Uh, currently eighth in the Western Conference. That's how bad the, the West is right now. Is <laughs> you can be seven and nine to be the eighth seed. Uh, they've basically lost Mike Conley for a while here. He's out indefinitely. Uh, I think it was it was some sort of wrist injury or something like that. The team put out. So um, the Grizzlies are twenty first on offense, one hundred three point zero points per one hundred possessions, and defensively uh, they're holding teams to one hundred three point two points per one hundred possessions, which is actually ranked tenth. Uh, who do you have next Wednesday in San Antonio between San Antonio and Memphis? You know, the Grizzlies played the Spurs last year so well in the playoffs. It, you know, obviously, when they lost Kawhi, they just got blown out by the Warriors. But in a lot of ways, it was a closer series than the Rockets series, even though the Rockets kind of blew them out. I mean, maybe the, the point differentials wouldn't show that, but it just felt like they played the Spurs so hard and they actually put fear in the Spurs. And I think after the Spurs figured the Rockets out, like, th- that was it was over. Um, so I think that the, the Grizzlies kind of always do that just by the way they play. They can do that to any team. They do that to the Warriors sometimes too. But I think that part of what helped them play the Spurs close was was Mike Conley and kind of his ability to get switched onto the bigs. And then he just scores like every single time he has a big on him. He has that, that move where he kind of leans and gets the, the bigs like momentum going one way and then he just goes the other and he has it. <laughs> um, so I think without him, you know, Marcus is awesome, but I just I don't think there's a chance that the Grizzlies win that. And I know that that's an easy way to say something and then be proven wrong. But I, I just think that for them to beat the Spurs, Mike Conley is such a big part of that that I think the Spurs take it. Okay, so you have the Grizzlies, right? Oh, no, okay. I have the Spurs. I mean, you have the Spurs. The Spurs. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, you have the Spurs. My bad on that part. Oh. Oh. Okay, so yeah, I agree with you as well. You know, just without Mike, it's just basically trying to stop Gasol. You know, they have, they have uh, Tyreek Evans off the bench and some of these other guys like Ben McLemore. Uh, but, you know, Conley's such a big part of that team. And, and I think that Memphis is going to be facing the question here. You know, we were talking about some trades earlier. 
is there going to be a situation where let's just say they go, you know, they start tanking big time and you know they they just can't get the wins? Do they look at moving Gasol, you know, for you know by February, or do they try to keep him and then try to continue next season with uh, Conley? Um, but you know, right now I have Spurs in that game as well. So so you and I both picked the Spurs to go three and one these next four games. Um, that's a pretty safe pick. Now I, I had asked some of the Spurs cast listeners on Twitter. Uh, you know, just within two hours only of voting, I asked them. You know, who do you, who do you think? How do you think the Spurs finished in that four games? And the majority sided with us. They said the fifty eight percent that had voted said the Spurs would go three and one. Uh, there was three hundred twenty seven total votes. Uh, then twenty nine percent said they would go four and zero. Oh. Uh, so some people were actually expecting the Spurs to sweep the series coming up in the four games. And then twelve percent said a two and two. And then. I don't know who the one percent said zero and four, one and three. I don't know who that person is or people. Okay, anyway, so um, thank you again, Spurscast listeners, um, for chiming in. Let me just get some some closing thoughts here, and then uh, Colin, can you please uh, uh, provide the, the Spurscast listeners with your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's going to be at Colin Reed PS with two L's in Colin. Okay, yes, please please make sure to follow Colin on Twitter at Colin Reed PS. Um, make sure that you're catching his pieces. They usually come out on Thursdays. Uh, he's been, he's been doing, doing a great job. He looked at the rebounding earlier this season. He, he's been doing some play diagramming as well. Um, a lot of different types of pieces where he kind of gives his analysis each week um, on Project Spurs. Uh, make sure that you continue to send questions to hashtag SpursCast. If you're on Twitter, follow us at Project Spurs, at ATLeague underscore NBA, at the SpursCast, and at Project Spurs Network. Um, online, can you please visit ProjectSpurs.com, AnalyzingTheLeague.com, SpursOn6.com, and ProjectSpurs.net. And then lastly, if you're listening to this on, on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. So for Colin Reed, I am Paul Garcia. Have a great day.